You are listening to the LifePoint Church Sermon of the Week. For more resources, visit us at lifepoint.cc. If you have your Bibles, open up to John chapter 4. I have a message for us as a church family. If you are not a part of this church family, you'll still get something, I believe, that will encourage your heart. If you're new to our church family, you'll understand why we do what we do, what makes us click, what makes us tick. John chapter four, I wanna share a message on my heart just entitled Gathering Around the Well. The one we gather around, the spring of living water, Jesus himself, because I wanna tell you this morning, Jesus alone satisfies. And yes, I say that to you as an individual. I preach that to myself pretty much on a daily basis. Jesus alone satisfies. But I say that to us as a church family. Jesus alone satisfies. Because there is a church that has been alive for the last 2,000 years. But throughout human history, throughout church history, the church has waned in and out of this easily distracted infatuation with other things, ebbed and flowed with a, with a gaze turning towards other things other than Jesus himself, the living water, the one who, who alone quenches that thirst of our souls. As it says in Psalm 42, as the deer pants for water, so my soul thirsts for you, Lord. I want to be very clear as we start a new school year as to where we're headed, what we're about. In any given year, in any given season, we have an opportunity to pursue a whole lot of things. A lot of opportunities come our way as a church family. But there is only one who will satisfy the longings of our heart. There's only one that will really allow us to step into the purpose for which the Lord birthed the church. It's the Lord himself, the living water, the well of living water. It's human nature, and again, you see it through church history, for us to settle for lesser things, for lesser loves, for us to settle for cheap substitutes, cheap fancies that satisfy only temporarily. But the Lord is calling for a people, and I believe there's something upon this generation, a special call, drawing us back to the the purity of love for Jesus alone, a love for him first, and for us never to leave that place, a first love for the Lord. There's a familiar passage in Jeremiah chapter 2, so you can stay in John chapter 4, but Jeremiah chapter 2, I believe, kind of sets, sets the stage for us. As the prophet Jeremiah is calling the exiled Israel back to the Lord, he says, for my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and they've hewed out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns cisterns that can hold no water. He's not talking about H2O, he's talking about what their, their hearts long for, what they look to satisfy the longings of their heart. Step one was they forsake the Lord. 
They, they, they forsook the Lord and turned towards other things. And in their place, they, they strove to try to build these man-made vessels to, to hold something that would satisfy the longings of their heart. But it was in vain. And it's a clear picture of what we often do and what we often do in the church as we pursue programs and buildings and the next pursuit, the next vision the Lord has given us and all the more leaving the very first love the Lord has called us to steward and not leave that place. A number of years ago, 15 years ago now, I spent a summer in Rwanda, Africa, drilling water wells. And I remember one time coming up to a village where we were going to drill a water well and found a woman who was literally going down into a hand-dug cistern and pulling out mucky, murdy, um, muddy, murky water. And there's actually a picture of this on the screen. I took a, a picture of this dear lady scooping water out of a hand-dug cistern of which she would go and boil that water. Within you know, five, six days, we had dug a water well put a hand pump on there, and there was pure, life-giving, clean water. But it's a vivid picture of what we oftentimes settle for in this life. We settle for the tainted, murky, muddy substitutes of this world when, in fact, we've been given a clear invitation from the Lord himself to drink of living waters. And to never be thirsty again. To be sustained by the living waters of the Spirit of God himself. The one who has marked you with eternity. Put, put the capacity for his spirit to come and live inside of you. That he, he and him, him alone coming and satisfying you. So I, I want us to look at this passage in John chapter 4. It's a passage I've shared from before. But I just feel like in a fresh way I wanted to start the school year off here so I hope you're ready. Let's pray. I just want us to receive everything the Lord has from us or for us this morning. Lord, we center our hearts on you. The living water. The one whom alone satisfies the longings of our hearts. And as a church family this morning, I pray that you would speak that you would, by your spirit, bring to life your word and that it would pierce our hearts, that it would take off the blinders of our eyes, that it would light afresh the flicker, the flame of our hearts once again. Do what only you can do, Spirit of God. Have your way in this place. Can you just welcome him here in this place? Lord, have your way in this place, in our hearts. We need a word from you as a church family. We need a word from you to give us our marching orders, to give us clarity for the days ahead. I believe you're refining us. You're burning away all the, the peripheral chaff, you're purifying us as a people, unifying us around a singular call 
And I pray that message would just resonate so clearly this morning in your mighty, mighty name, King Jesus. Amen. John chapter four, we're gonna start in verse seven. Jesus has an appointment with a woman who is unexpecting. She doesn't see it coming. She's doing what she does, gathering by herself at Jacob's well to gather water for her, for her family at noon. So everyone else comes in the morning, all the rest of the ladies in the village come in the morning. She comes at noon because we'll find out she has a, a storied past that she lives with shame regarding. And so she gathers at the well at noon and Jesus has an appointment with this, with this lady. It says, a woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink. Seems innocent, doesn't it? Just give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, and this is key, if you knew the gift of God, if only you knew how good God was, if only you knew the gift that stood right in front of you, if only our eyes were open to the goodness, the mercy, the kindness, the gift of God himself in our midst. And who it is that's saying this to you, give me a drink, then you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. I wonder how often Christians channel into churches not realizing the very gift of God in their midst. The gift of God that is meant to give them the living water to sustain their souls. Instead, we, we look to celebrity pastors or a voice from the flesh or positions of power or programs to make us feel all right or we check the box of religion, or we get our social tank filled, all the while neglecting the gift of God in our midst. If you only knew the gift of God, you would say, give me a drink. He would have given you living water. The issue is not on the Lord's side, the issue is on our side. Issues where we're looking to be satisfied, where we're looking to satisfy the longings of our heart. The Lord is wanting to pour out his spirit, I believe, in these days, and he's just looking for a humble, hungry people. He's looking for people that, whose eyes are turned towards him. He gives grace to the humble. That contrite spirit the Lord cannot resist. The woman said to him, verse 11, sir, you have nothing to draw water with. She's not tracking. And the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. There is something beginning to register in this woman's heart that draws her back to the very patriarchs, the very heritage of their story. There's something now being tapped in this man in this prophetic voice that's drawing her back to the story, the redemptive story that the Lord is writing. 
Verse 12, Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks of the water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, sir, give me this water so I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. She's like, I want that. Whatever that is, I want it. Do we believe what Jesus is saying here? That what he has will actually quench your thirst so that you'll never thirst again. I believe there is this cynical part in our hearts that question the Lord in that regard. Really, Lord, if I, if I drink of the waters of your, of your deep well, I'll never be thirsty again. Why is it that my, my heart longs for these other things? Why do I look to be satisfied? Why is my eye so quick to look to the left and to the right? Do we believe what the, what the Lord is saying here, what Jesus is saying here? Why is it that we settle for less? I believe the Lord is calling us to tap a well here in Ames, the well of living water. To draw our own hearts towards him is the one that sustains us. And that be the life source of our very existence and our mission as a church family. To not draw people to ourselves or our building or our program, but to draw people to the very living water that quenches the longings of their soul, quenches the very thirst of their soul. I believe the Lord is calling us to tap a well. This ancient, but yet living, eternal well, Jesus Christ himself, the ancient of days. Who is this living water? Later, Jesus is gonna lean into this analogy all the more in John chapter seven. On the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and he cried out, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. We're actually going to be partakers in this very experience of living water. We will take part in it and it will begin to flow out of us. Now this he said about the spirit whom those who believed in him were received for as yet the spirit had not been given because Jesus had not yet been glorified. So what Jesus is speaking about in both John chapter four and John chapter seven is a supernatural work. It's a work of the spirit of God coming and actually communing with human hearts. The divide being bridged because of the love of Jesus. The spirit of God bridging that gap and coming and actually having fellowship with men and women. So Jesus was about to unlock, and he was pointing this woman towards this, obviously towards his work on the cross, towards his resurrection, towards the outpouring of the Spirit. Jesus was about to unlock the refreshing living water of heaven by giving access to the Spirit of God. Jesus is just that. He is the bridge to living water the water for our souls, the refreshing for our dry and parched hearts. He's fulfilling Isaiah 55 that says, come everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. He who has no money, come buy and eat. So this living water is no respecter of persons. Hence why Jesus has this appointment with this woman who wasn't necessarily rich that we know of, 
because she's drawing her own water. She doesn't have servants that's drawing the water. Who's been cast out by society, hence why she's drawing it all by herself at the noon hour and avoiding, avoiding all of her peers. Come, come. If you can hear this invitation, come. There is space for you at the well, this well of living water. If you have no money, come, buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without price. It's the Lord himself that pays the price. He's looking for the simple hearted. He's looking for the humble, humble in heart, the contrite in heart, as I said earlier. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread and your labor for that which does not satisfy? Isaiah is saying the same thing Jeremiah said. Like, why are you hooning these cisterns that hold no water? Why are you spinning your wheels in vain, chasing after all these things? Listen diligent, diligently to me and eat what is good and delight yourself in rich food. Again, if only we knew the gift of God, as Jesus said. Those are words in red. If you knew the gift of God, the rich fare that is offered to us as the children of God, we oftentimes look at the Lord with this orphan heart that thinks the Lord is just gonna give us some crumbs when in fact he is setting for us a beautiful table with rich fare, with rich food to satisfy our hearts. Verse three, incline your ear, come to me here your, that your soul may live and I will make with you an everlasting covenant, my steadfast, sure love for David. So let us be a house where souls come alive in Christ because they drink of the living water. And my heart was stirred with this and in faith for Kyle Alpha as well as I was hearing testimonies of the students even this week coming alive to the Lord. Students who never knew about Christianity or if had a knowledge of Christianity, it was of Christianity as a, as a Sunday morning religion. But their hearts being alive, uh, brought, brought to life by the living water himself. So I want to say, may simplicity reign here unapologetically. Not in a way that dumbs down the message, but in a way that truly speaks to our hearts and allows the Spirit of God to do what only He can do. The church, especially in the West, has grown so ADD. Our eyes move all over the place looking for something else to get us pumped up, to get us excited. When the King Himself, the meek, humble King, wants to come and be with us. If only we knew the gift of God. So may simplicity reign here. The Lord himself wants to draw human hearts to himself. And he alone is enough. Anything else we give to people, anything else we offer to this city, we'll fall flat. We'll leave them unsatisfied. It'll maybe keep them along for a little while, keep them in a seat for a little while, but eventually they'll, they'll see the bankruptcy of it. They'll see the shallowness of it. There is one found at this well of living water. It's Jesus himself. So let's keep the story going down to, move down to verse 21. What I moved over is amazing. Jesus reads her mail. Jesus gives a word of knowledge you know, speaking to her heart as to why she lives so heaped in, in shame. 
and her eyes are open to who she's standing in the midst of. This is the Messiah. This is the Christ. This is the one. Verse 21, Jesus said to her, woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. I mean, this woman has just been gifted with the Messiah himself connecting the dots to her. You know, this, this nobody woman at a, at a humble well at, at noon, the Lord himself connecting the dots for her of this prophetic moment in human history. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth for the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. That is the moment in human history in which you and I now live. If only we knew the gift of God. The fact that the Lord right now is looking for a people, for a group of worshipers, for a tribe of Jesus' people that are content worshiping him in spirit and in truth. To this living water himself, Jesus is giving us an invitation. How do we drink of this living water? How do we respond? How do we respond to this invitation corporately? How do we respond We do as this woman did and we believe. Jesus gave her that command, believe now, believe me. He says, woman, woman, believe me. We need to be childlike, simple in our response towards the Lord, that we accept what Jesus says is true. We actually go back to the childlike simplicity that we've oftentimes tried to graduate from. We we, oftentimes in the church, we we act more like adolescents, more like teenagers, right? We're always questioning everything to the Lord. Not that he can't handle our questions, but I do believe he's looking for a people that take him at his word. That when we see it, we say, I know it's true. I haven't necessarily seen it yet with my eyes. I know it's true. Lord, help me believe. Help me in my unbelief. I want, I want, to, I want to grow in this, Lord Jesus. He can handle our questions. I'm not saying he can't handle that. And there's a, there's a place for that. But the posture of our hearts, I think, is very, very important. Will we accept what Jesus says is true? Will we, con- will we be convinced of the powers of the living water that exist in our midst? Jesus says later in John chapter 6, for this is the will of my Father. This is God's plan. That everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him They'll have eternal, eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. To those that look at the Son, Jesus himself, the living water, and they actually take him at his word. They actually believe him. Their hearts are quickened to actually accept what Jesus says is true. That we accept that he truly is good. Even if sometimes circumstances or the people around us say otherwise. That we see that he truly is a good gift, he truly is living water, and that he can be trusted with my life. Sometimes it's easier for us to trust the Lord with our eternity than it is to trust him with our very life, the here and now. So we say, okay, I put my trust in you, Lord. I know where I will spend eternity. But then we cling so tightly to the things around us and circumstances throw us into a tizzy so easily. But this sort of belief 
of these worshipers that worship in spirit and truth. They take the Lord at his word that he truly is good. We accept that he can be trusted with my life. We actually begin to believe that he alone will satisfy, which is a journey. If I'd just be honest, I think there's parts of me that question, question him on this. When I, when I get into the grind of Monday through Saturday, there's still a part oftentimes in my own heart that looks towards other things. But there's this invitation from the Lord afresh this morning for us to take him at his word, for us to believe that he truly is the only one that satisfies. I feel like sometimes there's this whisper of doubt in our hearts that feels like if we trust the Lord in this way, we'll be disappointed. There's something else we'll have to supplement. But the Lord this morning is saying, everyone who drinks of this water will never be thirsty again. He alone satisfies. Secondly, as this woman believed on the Lord, there was a clear turning from her old life fully towards the Messiah, towards the one who had been revealed. This is called repentance. So we believe, we repent. And Alex was speaking into that earlier. We turn from what we once valued and we turn fully towards the Lord. Repentance isn't just turning away from one thing, but it's turning away from one thing towards another, which is the Lord himself. It's turning away from these things, these cisterns that we have dug with our own hands, these empty, broken cisterns, and we turn towards the Lord. I believe the Lord's been doing that in our church family the last couple of years as he's renewing this first love in our midst. That is Repentance, corporate repentance. We turn from other things and we turn towards the Lord. And thirdly, so we believe, we repent. Thirdly, what's unleashed in our hearts is worship. This is the Lord's purpose for us. This is actually how the Lord's purpose is accomplished in our midst of Christ-likeness. That's what he wants to do in you and me. He wants to help us to look more and more like him, for us to bear the reflection of the image of Christ in our lives. That doesn't happen through me getting up here and breaking down every detail of the rules of the Lord. That can be done at different times. But more than anything, it's the Lord's kingship being established in our hearts, which primarily happens through the place of worship. It's the spirit in you beginning to, to call the shots in your life rather than your soul and your soulish desires. And sometimes that takes a little while in worship. I come into worship, sometimes I'm tired, I'm distracted, I'm stressed out, I'm anxious. And a few moments in the presence of God as I begin to actually allow the spirit to call the shots, my soul gets into alignment. My soul, my flesh gets in tow behind the spirit as I begin to declare what's true about who the Lord is and what he is like and how worthy he is and how beautiful he is. 
And before I know it, I'm actually drinking from this well. I'm being sustained by this well. And then this beautiful reciprocating, reciprocal like relationship begins where the Lord is glorified, Holy Spirit comes. It's like the wells of our own heart are opened up to receive from the Lord as we worship him. I'm gonna invite the the worship team to come forward because we're gonna respond to the Lord through worship. The Lord is taking us somewhere on a journey. And I, I use that language of, journey, of a journey because what I'm talking about is not an instant transaction, a one-time moment, a one-time prayer. The Lord is taking us somewhere together. And so what he's accomplishing in our midst is a, it's a process over time of the Lord recalibrating our hearts, purifying our hearts to be fixed on him and satisfied by him and him alone. As I look even at my own life, it's the Lord's grace that has called me away from lesser loves. I remember in college, well in high school especially, I was obsessed with sports. I mean, I just loved it. There's just this competitive piece in me that gets drawn into into sports. And and so in high school, I mean, I was all in 100%. I loved the Lord. I really did. I loved Jesus. But as in my college years, the Lord began to open my eyes as to how I was being drawn to these lesser loves to somehow satisfy something in my heart. And there was a season where I really just gave sports up. It's like the, there's like this black hole of a season of of sports in my life that I know nothing of what happened. I don't know who won championships, uh, the players that were the stars. It's like, it's just a void in my memory because I, was, I, I, I gave those things up for a season to really fix my heart on the Lord. As I moved on from college and got into the marketplace, I worked as a nuclear engineer and I realized the money that came with that and how easy it was to spend that money. <laughs> and the Lord began to, in his tender mercy and his grace, began to open my eyes as to how those things would never satisfy me. And he asked me to give it up. Would I be willing to trust him with my life to give up these things, of which it came to a real test? Would I give up surety of a paycheck and certainty of those things and the the freedom to be able to spend however I want or whatever I want to keep up with the Joneses? Would I trust him with my life? And I can tell you in my short 37 years on this planet, I've never regretted those moments where I've chosen the greater thing, where I've chosen the Lord over those lesser loves. There's been a moment of ache and then I'm met with the glory of the Lord. I'm met with this beautiful encounter with his sufficiency, with the reality that he alone satisfies. That can only be found by those that are willing to give up those lesser loves, those those broken cisterns, to be satisfied by him and him alone. And every person needs to come to that place where they see him in his beauty and never turn back. I believe overall in our church family, there's a critical mass coming to this church family where he alone satisfies 
Mother Teresa said that when Jesus came into this world, he loved it so much that he gave his life for it. He wanted to satisfy our hunger for God. And what did he do? He made himself the bread of life. He became small, fragile, defenseless for us. He came in a form that we could partake in him, that he could satisfy the hunger of our hearts, our hunger for love. This has been the LifePoint Church Sermon of the Week. For more resources, visit us at lifepoint.cc.